0: Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and I'm excited to be introducing the first episode of Season 3 to you today. Right now, as the new year begins, we're still focused on doing all our ministry online. But at some point in the coming months, we will be able to reopen our churches again. But how can we do that in the safest way possible? To talk about that, Mike Mahorter from our Church Life Cycles team sat down with Dr. Bridget Sterling, an epidemiologist and public health specialist with over 17 years of experience in the area of disease control. She also is a follower of Jesus who grew up at Central Baptist Church in Victoria, and she deeply understands the faith issues of this pandemic. They talk about how church leaders can navigate the conflicting messages around us and plan to reopen safely once we're able to do so again. So let's get to it. Here's Mike's conversation with Dr. Bridget Sterling.
1: Welcome to the Propel podcast. We are living in a truly historic time. The coronavirus has had and is still having a tremendous impact on every facet of our lives family, business, education, government, healthcare, both physical and mental, economy, and our faith. Our governments are having to navigate a minefield of competing needs and interests from educating our children, to helping businesses survive, to protecting people's health and financial well-being, and dealing with the very real need for faith, care, and community. And they face an impossible task of finding solutions that are effective, fair, and consistent in keeping their citizens safe and flattening the curve. As Christians, we're especially feeling the impact of the pandemic and the attempts to keep COVID from getting out of control. Churches have struggled to pivot to online services and find new and creative ways of being the church and fulfilling our mission while dealing with the ministerial, managerial, and financial realities of running a church. We feel deeply the loss of our worship services and programs and small group meetings. We struggle with balancing our religious freedom with submitting to government authorities, and we struggle with how faith and science interact in a global pandemic, very aware of the tensions of keeping our members safe physically, mentally, and spiritually. And all the time, the numbers keep going up. So how do we as pastors and church leaders sift through the conflicting messages and move forward responsibly in faith? Today, we have a special guest. Um, We're joined by Dr. Bridget Sterling, an epidemiologist, a public health specialist, and researcher with a PhD in community health services. She's director of Sterling Harmston, Harmston Public Health Specialist and has worked in the area of disease control for over 17 years, both in Canada and internationally. So she is eminently qualified to speak to the science of COVID. But she's also a follower of Jesus. She grew up at Central Baptist in Victoria, so she also understands the faith issues of the pandemic. So Dr. Sterling, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our podcast today.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, Perhaps you could take a minute to introduce yourself to us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. So um, just to begin, I, I love being introduced as a follower of Jesus, because I agree, that is, that is who I am, and that's my identity. So <laughs> thank you for that. Um, I also want to say that in the very beginning, when I started looking towards a career, what, what am I actually going to do? My, my big focus was uh, wanting to do missions. So uh, in aid of that, I actually, I reached out to World Vision. And I asked them, what what kind of uh, career should I follow if I want to be a missionary? And they said, well, we think nursing or tent making would be would be good choices. And I actually misunderstood what a tent maker was. Uh, at the time, I actually like, was like, well, I don't sew, so I guess I should go into nursing. Um, so later I found out what a tent maker actually was, but... Uh, through that, though, I have two sisters who've become nurses. My mom, who was an accountant, actually went through and became a nurse after me. So we actually got lots of nurses in our family. Um, so I became a nurse. And I'm like, yeah, I want to go overseas. And I want to, you know, really serve God. In the meantime, I actually, uh, I had applied in high school to be a Rotary scholar. And they, they actually contacted me and said, well, are you interested at all in becoming a Rotary ambassador? And what that means is that when you when you finish your degree, you know, you apply for this, you can actually go and do a master's degree somewhere in the world. So I was like, oh, okay. So when I finished my nursing degree, I applied for this and thinking, yeah, whatever. And got a full scholarship for my master's. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I applied to uh, the University of Wales in the UK, which had a course that actually specialized in um, public health for developing countries. And so this was in the, the Faculty of Medicine. And I'm like, oh, that'll, that'll be interesting. So I took that. And while I was there, my uncle actually got a job as a diplomat in Kenya. So when I went to do my dissertation, I was like, oh, OK, now I'll go to Kenya and do my project there. So uh, while I was in Kenya and um, doing my dissertation project and finishing off my master's degree, I reached back out to Rural Vision and said, hi, I'm ready now. <laughs> you know, where do you want to send me? And they actually originally had planned to send me to Liberia. which so I thought this would be great. Uh, but a war broke out in Liberia. And at the very last minute, like I had my bags packed. I was in Toronto on my way to Liberia, stopped off at the Missionary Health Institute on the way. And they said, oh, sorry. <laughs> actually, we've had to shut down that option. We're now sending you to Malawi. And I'm thinking, Maui? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> really, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know where Malawi was. I was completely ignorant. Um, so they literally had to point it out on a map and say, that's, that's, this is where you're heading. So off I went uh, to Malawi, not having prepared, not having any knowledge about the country or anything else. And while I was there, I actually met my husband. So God obviously knew what he was doing. He had a plan for me there. And after my year in um, as a a World Vision fellow, they actually, um, as we're sort of thinking about what to do, I thought, I'm going to go back to Kenya. And there's a project there that my uncle was uh, working with as well. And I'm going to work on that project. And while I was there, I also happened to meet uh, Frank Plummer, who was running that project and later became the director general for public health in Canada. And he said, you know what? I'd like you to be my PhD student. Come on back to Manitoba in January, just so you know. So Nairobi yeah. to Winnipeg in January and, um, and work and work with me and do your PhD. So you can imagine having kind of this, ah, I wanna be a missionary, go out to them. And it just kind of ramped and ramped and ramped. So now I'm, I'm working with you know this, this person who's basically in charge of public health for Canada. Um, and through him was able to like, we, we wrote uh, a paper that was in the best medical journal in the world. We wrote the, um, I actually was the first author on a, on the World Health Organization's physician paper on HIV care uh, and part of the team on prevention. So just God was like blessing and putting me forward for all of these different things. And it was actually interesting because Frank, Frank said that he had a grandmother that was very, very religious. And he said, he just kept saying, you know, it's weird. It's just whenever I think of you, I think of my grandmother, you remind me of her. And I thought, wow, he's seeing some, you know, the spirit in, in me that uh, that has given me this favor. So after all of that, I went to the University of Toronto. My husband um, was not yet a Canadian citizen, so he needed to, to stay in Canada for three years in order to do that. He worked for World Vision Canada, which was good fun. And I um, uh, worked at the University of Toronto. Um, then we had some children. And then when they were a little bit stronger, we decided to go back. And that. We went back to the mission field and at that time we were going into uh, creative access countries. So that's about all I can say about that. So it kind of disappeared off of the uh, academic and um, professional trail for a while. Um, and incredible things happened while we were overseas, as you can well imagine, and just building on our faith that God is with us, that he's uh, he's planning everything, his hand is in everything. And we actually were tent makers, which is great fun. Uh, So after having found out what a tent maker was, later actually became one um, and and was able to do some work alongside some amazing missionaries there. Years later, we did return uh, back to Victoria. Um, So my children are now uh, older and interested in going to a regular school apparently. And we're so thrilled to actually get to go to a church, which was in a building. Um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we may have to uh, wait a little while till that can happen again. And then, um, all of that to say, we, we kind of came back here and then of course, uh, COVID hit and we had been in Saudi Arabia during the time of, uh, MERS, the MERS epidemic seven years ago. And so we had some experience with, with that disease. I'd also been in Toronto when SARS had hit uh, seven, I guess 17 years ago now. And, um, so when this came about and we were, Oh, wow, this is interesting. I started phoning everybody, phoning my church, phoning my kid's school, phoning the university. I was like, this is a problem. This is a big problem. And this is going to be a disaster. We have to get ready for this. Fill out your pharmaceutical prescriptions, get ready. Like this is, we're going to have to hunker down, you know, Get get your food ready. Right. I didn't mention toilet paper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <Dang it>. Hindsight.
2: <laughs> yeah, I missed on the toilet paper. Um, but we did we did, uh, and I should have done that because we'd been in lots of cholera outbreaks during the years. <laughs> <laughs> that actually should have been a thought. Um, but anyway, all that to say that we we started phoning everybody and telling them to get ready. Jenny and I, having been through the uh, experience in SARS, and she's now in the UK. Um, Jenny Harmston. Uh, she is a policy writer. She's you know, very strong in public health and very high up in, in the national, um, health system in the UK. Uh, so we started to, to start to write programs. We're like, okay, let's do this. Let's write some training. Let's write some, uh, we did policy frameworks for people and we started going into businesses and doing site visits and helping them out during this time. And a lot of things that we were looking at was, um, the physical, the physical building, so the built environment and helping people think about things like ventilation, how does the air flow through the room, how many people should be in a certain amount of space, um, how distant people should be, what activities they should be doing, um, looking at shared high touch points and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we were, we were doing that with lots of different businesses. Um, and, and yeah, just focusing on, on this, how to, how to protect people during the epidemic. And from the beginning, I wanted to work with churches. I mean, that, that's obviously my heart. And, um, since we were doing all of this research and building all these tools and getting things ready anyway, I was, I was very passionate about like, let's, let's start thinking about how we can help churches. And I have been advising four different churches internationally in a very informal way. But what I've been seeing is patterns. You know, what I'm learning from one church, I'm sharing with another. You know, like I'm, I'm talking to this church and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, we have, I've seen that problem before. And here's what somebody else did, and kind of helping to share, share with these just four churches um, that we've been working with. So, all that to say, we have actually tried to put something together now that's going to help us to, to share more freely and more often and more widely um, some of the lessons that we've learned, not just in other epidemics, but what we've learned now working with businesses and some of the churches that we've been engaging with.
1: Okay. I'm uh, I'm probably going to ask you a little bit more about that a little bit later. Hmm. But um, this is a confusing time for pastors and church leaders. There's so much conflicting information. Some are feeling that this whole pandemic thing is an exaggerated, um, uh, is an exaggeration, and that it's, you know, just like a little more active kind of flu. Uh, some some um, faith leaders are concerned that the government is trampling on our charter rights. Um, some faith leaders have created this dichotomy between faith and science, claiming that to follow health guidelines like wearing a mask or social distancing or suspending our church services or public meetings, these kinds of things, is to give in to fear rather than faith. So. How should Christians be looking at this?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I totally understand where people are coming from because you know we we don't operate in fear, right? That's not that's not our that's not our way as Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to be hiding under our beds and <laughs> say, you know like let's just wait for this to pass, and and, and we shouldn't be doing that. Um, and and just to be clear, I mean, in my experience, I have done a, a number of things that have been incredibly risky. Um but but have done them for the right reasons. So I think we take on an appropriate amount of risk depending on what it is that's that's occurring around us. Um, and I'll tell you like a, a few Christmases ago, we actually went to uh, we were doing a project um, in the Middle East. And at one point we were standing on the Syrian border, and I was doing an interview, kind of like this one, only it was it was uh, uh, being filmed in a snowy, mountain pass it's instead of the road to Damascus it was the the mountain pass to Damascus Mm -hmm. and it was a very serious like interview and we're telling church leaders about you know this recent bombing and how you know we sent children fleeing over the border from Damascus and Lebanon and getting hypothermia and then all of a sudden in the middle of the interview I got hit with a snowball and I'm like what the heck and I look around and there are my children who are aged 11 (laughs) and 9 and they've never seen snow before so they were very excited and they were having a great time. They're laughing and playing. Well, they completely ruined the shot. And uh, we were trying to be really expedient and kind of get in there do it and get out of there. Um, but, you know, my, my point is that, you know, wherever we are in the world, we, we do things, right? We take on a certain amount of risk. And I'm not adverse to risk. I, I'm quite willing to take on risk uh, for the right reasons. Um, but, but what we're, we're not saying is, you know, we should take on risk for no reason. So, it, you know, if, if what you're doing, you know, has a, has a benefit, then I think that there is, you know, there is a place to take on some risk, but we're also going to mitigate against that risk, right? So we're going to say, okay, we're going to use wisdom um, to mitigate and, and and be under the authority of others so that we can mitigate that risk, so we can reduce that risk, right? So we don't want to go around being like, you know, hey, you know, look at me (laughs) in the middle of a war or something like that. We want to be, we want to be using our wisdom. Um, And so one of the things that I was thinking about was, was God's character, right? And we want to mimic God's character. And we know that God is love, right? And what is love? Love's patient, love's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, and it rejoices in the truth. So I think if if we were to take an attitude during this pandemic of wanting to be mimicking and reflecting and modeling the character of God, then we're going to not be rude. And quite frankly, it's rude to be around other people in the middle of a pandemic and put them at risk, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. and we're not going to be impatient, right? We're going to wait for the right time. We're going to move when the time is right. We're going to do the things within a a reasonable time. It's not self-seeking. Right? God isn't self-seeking. It's not about me. It's not what I want. It's not about myself. It's about the group. It's the community. And and hopefully we're delighting in the truth. We're seeking evidence. We're looking at data and we're allowing the truth and evidence to guide our, our choices and our decisions. So I think as the church is continuing to work, and I don't believe, as I've mentioned, I don't believe we need a building. I mean, I've for a long time been without a church building, as mm-hmm. we've been in creative access countries where there are no church buildings. Um, so I don't, I don't, I can see how we can operate without the actual building. I can see how we need to operate within the building and mitigate risk and use wisdom and be patient and be under the authority of our leaders. Um, and, and incidentally, I believe the church is doing a terrific job. I really do. There was a study that looked at, um, how Canadians have been helped by faith-based organizations. And this was Mm -hmm. done at Easter. It was done within like a few, like weeks of the epidemic happening. And when they asked people if they'd been helped by somebody at faith-based organization, one in 20 people said that they had been personally helped and one in five said that they knew someone personally who'd been helped. So this is not about the church laying down and and the church is acting. The church is out there doing marvelous things. It's just now how do we do that in a way um, that we can be safe and we can be safer, I should say. We're never safe. We weren't safe right. on the border of Syria, um, <laughs> but we, we could be safer. Um, and also I, I, my, my big dream for the church is that we can emerge from this whole experience being known for being wellness and being kindness. Right. It's like, so we can be associated with these things. That's funny being Baptist. I mean, I, I once had a, a an outreach activity where we were doing a fitness class. And so we had all these healthy snacks and everything. People are like, wow, you're you're so excited about this. I said, yeah. I said, because normally Baptists, we're we're, being, we're known for our cakes and our pies and our fried chicken. And, you know, <laughs> and those are all good things. Don't like, don't get me wrong. But if we could get known for fitness and exercise and wellness and <laughs> healthy snacks, wouldn't that be great too? Um, so anyway, uh, so I I can see there being a, a real opportunity uh for us to do something and just to respond to people's feelings about the government. You know, having this government too is like, you know, trying to ruin you know what we're doing. Uh, let's be clear. Sweden chose not to be heavy on their authoritarian uh, public health restrictions at the beginning of the epidemic. They made a choice. They said, "We're going to just allow herd immunity. People can do whatever they choose to do, and let's see what happens." Well, unfortunately, if you look at the state of Sweden right now compared to their neighbors, Sweden's in trouble. Sweden has about a ten times higher death rate than some of their neighbors. Mm-hmm. Sweden now is under an incredible restriction. Right now, they've had to go all the way back to, you know, no children in school in some places, and you know, so they've they've really pulled down. They have had a, as much of an economic impact as places that have put in really strong public health measures. So, so it's not about what the government is doing. The government doing nothing caused. Widespread epi- epidemic, widespread economic and education disruption. It has caused people, all the, all the restaurants are open, but nobody is going, right? Because they're, they're scared now because there's such an incredibly high prevalence, community-based prevalence of the disease. So people, people though, if they're feeling like, I want to be angry at somebody, you can't be angry at a virus. A virus isn't living. A virus is a little piece of protein that isn't even alive. So it's very hard for me to be angry at a virus, but it's easy for me to be angry at a person. And so hopefully as a church person who is reflecting the character of Christ, right? I'm going to be slow to anger. I may be righteously angry sometimes, but I hopefully will be slow to anger. Um, And I am going to uh, be realistic in who it is that I'm angry with. I mean, we we can say, well, it's the fault of the virus. And then people want to focus on say the the medical health officer or somebody else and say, well, they're not being, they're not being fair. They're being somebody that's trying to restrict me. But if we look at the Swedish example, we can see that it's not really necessarily what the government does that causes these major impacts. It's very often the virus itself. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, i I personally am quite thankful to be in BC right now.
2: Yeah.
1: I feel that our government has, uh, Has uh, recognizes the importance of faith-based communities, um, but is also working very hard to try to keep their citizens safe. Um, You know, most of our churches have people who work in the medical profession, um, not to mention police, fire, ambulance, teachers. How can we best minister to them during this time? Yeah, yeah. Most of of us don't really grasp the pressures that they're under and the things that they're going through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, one of the one of the things that I've been doing since this pandemic started was we've been helping in home care. And so we've got in Alberta, we've got some home care agencies that we've been helping with. And honestly, I get sometimes, uh, they'll record some of the conversations. So they have a, a line where the, the nurses can call in and to explain what's happening in some mm-hmm. of the places that they're at. And I have to say that's that what what I'm hearing, what those nurses are recalling and what they're explaining to us is happening is, is pure horror. It's absolute horror. It, it actually will make you cry to hear how those nurses are working in, say, care facilities where they have to make a really difficult choice about who to care for because things are that bad. Yeah. So absolutely, people have um, gotten to the point where they are in... I would say that they're in a an, in an almost chronic state of trauma. So we do have to recognize that there, that the people in our communities who are uh, who are working frontline um, are very often um, they're, they're getting to the point now where they're getting burnt out and they've had, they've had enough, you know, they've had a loss and, and we're not going out on our balconies anymore and banging any pots. You know, this isn't, mm-hmm. that, you know, we've, we've sort of said, yeah, well, we appreciate you, but this isn't the pot banging time. This is a, this has kind of moved into a new phase. And yet, how, how much worse are things now than they were before? And especially in Alberta, um, where in, in, in Edmonton, where right now the, um, the ICUs have, have reached critical levels. And so they, they, the patients are pouring out into the regular units. And then a lot of those patients are pouring out into the community. Um, we're seeing very, very difficult decisions having to be made. And, and that can be really tough. for for all of us who are used to being able to provide care in a different way. Um, This is something that the rest of the world faces all the time. This is something that when I'm working in other countries, I face, where you have to make really difficult decisions with the resources that you have. But it's an unusual state for our doctors and nurses um, and policymakers and hospital administration and, and care aides and just all the way down the line for people who are who are doing the best they can, um, and they're stretched. They're really stretched. And I, and I think we also have to remember pastors are stretched, too. One of the things is I've been speaking to different pastors. They themselves are you know, feeling the strain of 11 months of working with people, of counseling. Uh, one of the pastors I talked to said that February is their most active counseling month in a regular year. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit concerned about what's going to happen this February he's worried about it like he said sometimes he stays up all night thinking what am I going to do in February if it's this bad now um so so I think that we need to be aware that um that people even church leaders pastors counselors people that are working um for for the body of Christ are also themselves first of all uh, needing emotional support and 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 need to be recognized for the work that they're doing and then, of course, there's the people in our, in our community. So that could be anybody, nursing, medicine, military, other services, who are, who are really in the metaphorical fire. Um, and I've been teaching for many, many years in uh, medicine and nursing and public health, health informatics. And I always tell my students who are doing anything remotely clinical, you have chosen to be the people that when the building is on fire, you're the ones running into it. Mm-hmm. Most people... Will be running out, right? And that's actually most people's normal, reasonable, logical way of being is to run away from danger. And I, I have told these guys since the beginning you have chosen. I've had a few students actually write to me and say, Thank you for telling us that. Like when this was all happening, they were like, Oh, I remember now that we were told that this is going to happen. And when something like this happens, and it happens more often overseas than you can imagine, but in Canada, it doesn't happen that often but there's a catastrophe, there's a crisis that you have chosen a profession that you're those people that are running into the building. And so just be prepared. And if you're not that person, right, which is perfectly fine, we're all built differently, then you may want to choose a different profession because that's what's expected. So it's what healthcare workers and firefighters and military and police are trained for. They prepare for They expect that there's going to be something that happens. What they don't expect is that it's going to last 11 months. Mm-hmm. They were not prepared for that. They were not trained for that. They're not equipped for that. So we need to be recognizing. And I don't know what that means. Like, I, I've been thinking about that. Like, is does that mean that we need to, you know, as churches, could we be going out to clinics and to hospitals and holding up a sign saying, you know, Central Baptist Church is, you know, loves you and thanks you and praying for you? You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it means that we can, we can like recognize people on a, on a personal basis. Maybe it's when we have people and maybe we can just send them a box of chocolates or some flowers and just say, you know what, we just want to say we, we see you. We recognize what you're doing. I remember during SARS, I was working at St. Michael's Hospital um, in the University of Toronto at that time. And everyone who worked in the SARS epidemic got things like baseball tickets. And you know, when it was all over, they totally spoiled us. They had all these wonderful things. Oh, here's some, this restaurant or this hotel or whatever, gave all kinds of prizes and things well, that's not going to happen when this is over, because (laughs) this is going to be 11 months, 12 months, two years. And people, by the end of it, will just be like, oh, we just want to forget about it and move on. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I think it's, it's a little tricky, but I do think we, we can offer different things. I mean, I I can say we can offer counseling, but I'm worried about my, my pastor friends who are
1: already (laughs) up
2: all night (laughs) dreading February. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but, but, you know, God is good. I mean, I think prayer is probably the most powerful thing. Um, we can be praying for each other, and we can be uh, recognizing. I think everyone needs that, that recognition. And even just somebody saying, I see you, I know what you're doing, and I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You know, many of our pastors are getting pressure from some in their congregations who, who either feel that the threat is exaggerated or that churches are being unfairly singled out by government um, or the restrictions are just going too far and the, and the people are anxious to get back together, they're anxious to re- come, go back to normal. Um, what would you say to them, to the pastors in yeah. these situations?
2: Well, first of all, I agree that it does seem a little odd that you know, churches can't meet together, but schools can still run or churches can't meet together and the malls are packed. Absolutely. I, I drove by a mall the other day. And I couldn't believe, I actually, I, I'm, you know, slow to anger, slow to anger. <laughs> I have to talk to myself because, you know, it is one of those things that you're like, oh, this is so annoying, but it's not, the church is not meeting at this time that's wrong. It's them gathering that's wrong and and them gathering at this time, whether it's in a mall or whether it's you know you know in schools where people are super close, not wearing masks, all of each. I live across the street from the school, and I sit there and I I watch them and I think, oh, you know, like this is so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand people's frustration because I, I think that they they have a valid point actually. Is this right that some people can meet together and other people can't? So I do think that that, that should probably be addressed. I actually do think that that is a a good question. Um, but I actually don't think there's a problem with us being patient and with us being distanced and with us holding off. And a part of the things that make churches more risky than other places is that there is part of it is the makeup of the people that attend churches. So because churches are inclusive and churches are places where we love to see people of all abilities. So this is a place for people with diverse abilities, people with all kinds of chronic health issues, older people, people of every single um, ethnic background, this is, these are all things that are such good, wonderful aspects of the church. At the same time, they do increase our vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then the activities that we engage in at the church can also increase our vulnerability. And we have a very, very good option of online um, church, virtual church. It's not perfect. It's not great, but it's something um, that people can engage in. And maybe this is going to force us to be a little more creative. You know, for years and years, our family had to do something called, not had to, ch- engaged in a, something called Discovery Bible Study. And so every day, our family, as a family, got together and we read a passage of the Bible. And from there, we asked a few simple questions of each other. And we yeah, prayed that the Holy Spirit would help us to guide, you know, draw closer to him, that he would be teaching us through this experience. And, um, and even ask the question, how can we share this with other people, right? So, so we had that growth and that experience and everything else because we couldn't meet together. With, there, well, there wasn't a church where we were. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, maybe we're going to use this experience of being socially connected, spiritually connected, but physically distant to deepen our faith, to stretch out in the way that we do things. I mean, people are, if people are not fearing, people are upset about not being able to gather, what are you doing then? Are there other things that you're able to do? Either within your your closed bubble, your family, the people that you live with, or even virtually, or maybe, you know, if you're able to bubble with another group, another small group and come together. And do things that are maybe a little different. Maybe get creative. You know, this actually could be something that's positive for the church in the long run. Mm-hmm. But to answer okay. people's question, is it fair? You know, I mean, health is rarely about fair. It's, most things are not fair in health. <laughs> it like, was well, not fair that that person got cancer. That's not fair. So it's not usually about fairness. It's about risk and vulnerability. And so if the authority that we're under has made the decision that there is a risk, that there is a vulnerability, then I agree that we should be under their authority. We should listen to what they say. I would ask some questions, especially as an epidemiologist, about what I'm seeing in other places, which I also think may have a problem, but my having a problem with what's going on over there is not directly related to what we do. I would like to see the church so full, over full, like people out the back of the door, because we have so many people meeting next year. That next Christmas when we get together, we need to like you know, you know at our church we had to find extra chairs. So I want next year, so 2021 Christmas is going to be the year of extra chairs, where we are so remember how I told you in January of last year I was telling people get your prescriptions filled? I'm mm-hmm. saying now go out and buy some extra chairs. Get some more face. chairs, yeah. Yes, because we're going to have <laughs> those people that couldn't meet together this year, they're going to multiply. We're going to have so many people coming that we're going to need to expand multiple services, lots of chairs. So yeah. let's, let's focus on that and think positively, and let's be here for next Christmas so that we can continue to be the hands and the feet of Christ.
1: Yeah. And so you'll want to buy some more toilet paper, too, along <laughs> with those chairs. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now, at, at some point, churches are going to be able to reopen for services. Absolutely. So, uh, how how can we do that safely?
2: Yeah, so um, there's a couple of things we can do. So one of the one of the tools that we've created is just for that, right? So it actually looks at risk across all of the different domains that people encounter and all the places that we receive risk from. So you receive risk from, uh, the, as we mentioned, the built environment. You receive you receive risk from breathing the same air. That's actually really, when it comes down to it, it's about sharing air. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit to do with touching the same items, but in fact, it's the air that we breathe that is more important than the items that we touch, although both are important. So we do look at things like um, how do you reopen with the amount of space, how many people should be in the building? You can think about how you would uh, work your ventilation to keep that the space um uh, the, the air moving. Um, I, I have some training materials where I actually go through and explain the entire basics of disease control in a very simple way so that people can understand exactly what happens when a virus moves from an, you to another person. And you can understand what is an infection. Well, we all know what an infection is. You might not. So how, <laughs> how this works is really important. There's also all kinds of things coming that we're going to have to have some understanding about. So There's the built environment, there's personal protective equipment, there's cleaning, um, and then, of course, there's all these new innovations that are coming, Um, and and those innovations are going to make life a lot easier, too. So I guess the, the idea is, first of all, you need to understand where your risk is coming from. Then you need to understand, once you understand where the risk is coming from, you need to identify why that risk is there, and how do you mitigate against it? So there are lots of ways that we can reduce our risk and there's lots of evidence out there for this. So understanding where the risk is coming from within the church by activity, by group. So I actually look into like, how how is communion putting you at risk? How is baptism putting you at risk? Mm-hmm. How is weddings putting people at risk? So going through it all and thinking it through and then and mitigating against it and giving ideas for how you can go forward in a safer way. So there's never going to be a hundred percent perfect, safe building, for example, and there never was. That's the other thing I don't know if people under, I mean, it was, was never. We always had communicable diseases in mm-hmm. in our community, and we'll always have them again. Once this is over, and we have a vaccine, and we're we're all back to normal, that's going to be fantastic. But rest assured that there will always be some other infectious disease out there, and and always has been. So. Um, so, so we're going to be, I think when this is all over, we're going to live cleaner and safer, more hygienic, um, and, and, and be more polite in a sense <laughs> than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, when the church is reopened, there's going to be very systematic ways that we can mitigate against the risk and use wisdom to do that in a safer way. Okay.
1: You've mentioned a couple of times um, some resources that your company offers, and I know that you're branching out to try to help churches more. Uh, we'll include some links and some information in the, um, in the show notes uh, for this episode, but is there anything that you would just like to share about what your company does or offers?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, the first thing we've, we probably have had the most experience with, um, we have a lot of academics in our group who are also public health experts. So mm-hmm. we, we're, we're big fans of training. Um, and so we've, we've tried to put together some really interesting, fun um, training uh, modules that help people to understand, again, where the, the risk is coming from in a church and where you can go from there. We've also, um, in our work with the four churches that we've been already dealing with, one of the things that keeps coming up is this idea of emotional wellness. Um, and so we've actually developed some training on emotional wellness, which I think is really important at this time. Um, how to talk to people about COVID, how to deal with the fear, the sort of chronic fear that people have had. And, um, and then right now, you know, people talk about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're, we don't have that because we're not post anything. In fact, we're in the middle of the firefight right now. This is not there's we're not we're trauma we're not post trauma anything so right now people are in a state of, of of constant or chronic trauma stress so how do we deal with that and how do we help people at this time deal with what they're going through right now and then of course as this transitions into post <laughs> then we'll be able to help people at that time too so building up people's especially church leaders skills and how to deal with that We've also seen a lot of church leaders have told us that they've got staff that have not been faring well through this time uh, for lots of different reasons, and so how also to deal with with staff within the church as well. The other thing that we've been doing is um, uh, we've created the risk tool, so we've got the training and the risk tool. We actually have created what's called a community of best practice, because I think the best people to tell church leaders what to do in this difficult time is other church leaders, so, um, having a forum that is moderated by me, um, so <laughs> I read everything and I release it uh, just to make sure we don't have any. Um, what I would do then is write to the person and say, you know, thank you for your contribution. I'm wondering if we could soften it a little, or could you could you supply the evidence for what it is that you're saying? So we'll make sure that 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 everything that is there um, either comes from a public health expert or is is being provided in a way that's helpful. And then the other thing with this is we're gonna have um, something called Ask the Expert. So we'll have ventilation experts um, and we'll have uh, people that understand uh, policies, for example, how to write a a better church policy. Uh, We've got some business experts that are looking at how how to make your way through this difficult time um and and things like that so we'll have like ask the expert and people can also suggest um which experts they would like to have um talk to them obviously counselors as well um that are going to be ask the expert and um yeah so that's that's kind of what we're what we're offering at this time we're really just trying to provide people with whatever resources that they have to to make their churches safer and to help them not just come through this like this isn't a time that we want people to just survive we actually think that there's there's an opportunity to thrive hmm. but how can we help people to actually thrive as church leaders at this time
1: okay okay so this information or how to access this information is available on your webpage, or yes. okay okay it's just
2: our names so, www.sterlingharmston.com
1: yeah okay all right and as i said we will uh We'll put some of this information in the show notes so that um, so that people can access it. Because I think what you have just been sharing, some of the resources and training and and tools you've been sharing, uh, go back to how we can help people in our congregations who are on the front lines, as well as how we can reopen as safely as possible. Great. Well, I thank you so much for being for taking this time to be with us. Is there? Any, any last words that you would like to give to our pastors and church leaders?
2: I sure would. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, you guys are um, absolute heroes. And if I could go out and bang pots for you, I would. Because um, <laughs> you are frontline workers. You are taking the brunt of this. You know, you're listening every day. You're helping. You're engaging. You're feeding You're, you know, you're visiting the sick, you're visiting people in prisons. I mean, you are, you are absolutely phenomenal and it's showing like it's the, 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 the country is seeing it. So carry on and do what you're doing. The other thing I would say is let's not forget um, the rest of the world at this time. So for your missionaries that are out there that are serving in populations that maybe don't have testing, don't have good facilities. Don't forget them at this time, because not only is this going to be a difficult time for us. It's difficult for them too. So just remembering the the people who are serving overseas as well, at, um, and and are potentially locked in to wherever they are, and and working hard to 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 reach out and to be hands and feet in, in difficult climates as well, um, but but also having to be under this this very very uh, terrible virus that has been that has been with us for the last eleven months. So. Mm-hmm. let's not forget them too.
1: Well, we worship a Lord who has promised that his church will prevail. And, uh, and so we need, to, uh, we need to stay hopeful, stay people of faith, be responsible, and, um, and love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you again so much. Bridget, for taking this time to share with us. Uh, there's been a lot of information here. Uh, some of you may want to put this on repeat if you're, if you're listening to it in your car. Um, so you could listen to it a couple of times. But uh, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on our Propel podcast and taking this time to help our churches understand the virus better, the pandemic better, and also how we can um, minister through it. So thank you again
0: you welcome. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before we go, I want to take a moment to highlight for you the resource that Dr. Sterling mentioned, which includes a risk assessment tool and community of best practice for church leaders. Developed by world-renowned epidemiologists and public health specialists, this resource is designed to assist churches in making difficult decisions in the times of outbreaks of infectious disease, such as COVID-19. We know that this is an area of great challenge for our churches, so we highly recommend you take a look at this valuable resource. You can find more information about it in our show notes, along with contact information for them. And don't forget, our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here to support you as well. To find out more about what we have to offer and to get in touch with anyone on our team, visit www.fedpacific.ca.